All right. How's everybody doing? Good. Um, you can have a seat. We're going to be uh, chill this morning. And I want you to kind of feel like this is a living room, right? Kind of a small group type setting. It's a large living room. It's a living room. Um, so I'm going to start with uh, Genesis 32. And uh, we're going to go from there. Sound good? So I'm going to pop in peppermint. I heard a pastor say once that um, he used to use a peppermint instead of a clock. And that when the peppermint ran out, he knew he was finishing. And I tried that once. But within two minutes, I had already cracked down on the peppermint. And so uh, I have a watch and a clock up here. So we're going to go by that. We're not bound by time, Tammy. Genesis 32, 9. It says, Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, Go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. So let's pray. Father, we welcome you again here. You are so worthy of our attention and our time, God. You're so worthy for any sacrifice we can give to you. We thank you for the new presence, the new uh, birthing that you are bringing, the fresh wind that you are bringing in this place, God. We thank you for breaking through um, our hearts and our minds, transforming them, bringing us to the places above and seating us with you, with Jesus. And we love you, God. In Jesus' name. So, just a little history on Jacob. Jacob was born um, just a few minutes after his brother. Um, so, he was one of uh, twins, Jacob and Esau. And when Jacob was born, uh, the Bible says he was grasping the heel of Esau. And so Jacob came, and Jacob, um, as he went through his life, decided he wanted the birthright, you know, as a twin, the second twin. He didn't necessarily get the birthright first. Esau got it. And so he wanted the birthright and decided to trick his father into getting that, which obviously made Esau pretty mad. So we see here in verse 11, it says, Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau. He had run away from home. He was afraid that Esau was going to kill him. And so he um, is now at this point where he had sent word to Esau. He had said, I have all the, the cattle. I have married. I have uh, children now. Um, I want you to come. And um, I, I just basically want you to have mercy on me for everything I've done. And so Jacob gets word back that Esau is going to come. And he's terrified. So he prays to God. And he says, God, you told me to go back to my country. You told me to go back to my relatives and that you would make me prosper. And then Jacob says, I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness that you have shown your servant. But you have said, do you hear that? Hear that but. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea which cannot be counted. So I want to focus on verse 10 where it says, I am unworthy. Have you ever said that in your life? Sometimes we don't want to admit it, right? God, I'm unworthy for what you have given me. Um, it, it's not what I'm supposed to have, right? And so the word unworthy here, it means I'm not worth that. And when you look at the Hebrew, it literally means small or insignificant. So what Jacob is saying is, I am too insignificant for all the kindness, all the faithfulness 
all the mercies, everything you have given me. So worth in the Hebrew means small and insignificant. If you look up worth in Webster's Dictionary, it says worth is a core value. Okay? So worth and value are synonymous with each other. And so a lot of times what I feel like we do when we talk about worth and when we hear worth and hear somebody say, I'm unworthy, we might tend to think that they're saying, I don't deserve this, okay? But y'all with me, right? I don't deserve this. So we could read this again. It would make complete sense, right? Jacob could be saying, I don't deserve all the kindness and faithfulness that you have given me, right? And Jacob's made past mistakes, okay? And so the word deserve or to deserve in the uh, Webster's Dictionary talks about earning something specifically based on the past. And so when we're looking at deserving, we're judging ourselves or somebody else is judging us if we're deserving of something based on our past of what we have done. And so based on Jacob's past, he probably didn't deserve the mercies and the kindness and the goodness of God at that point, right? Because he had tricked his uh, father. He had stolen what was rightfully his brother's. He had run away, right? He wasn't doing, you know, didn't make the best decisions. And so he didn't deserve that. But when we look at deserving, which is based on your past, versus worth, which is a core value, they are not the same thing. Okay? Yeah. So we're going to dig a little deeper in that this morning. So what I believe um, is important, and Jacob, Jacob pretty much said this for me this morning, is that we have to have a foundation, right? And Jesus has to be that foundation for us. And when I think of foundation, I think of the woman who's caught in adultery. So Jesus gets word, hey, we want you to come down here. We caught this woman. Based on the law of Moses, uh, she's supposed to be stoned to death. We need you to come and witness this, basically as a rabbi, as a teacher of the law. So Jesus comes, and he is, uh, he sees this woman who's thrown at his feet, right? All these people, they have their stones ready. They're angry. Everybody knows the story, right? So they're angry. They're upset. They're ready to stone her because based on the law of Moses, if somebody was caught in an act like this, an adultery or murder or anything, the, the law says we can stone her. She can be hit with rocks until she's bleeding and dying, right? And so Jesus is here, kind of they're testing him, right? They're trying to see, is this man on our side? Is he, you know, trying to uh, rebel against us? Who is Jesus, and so Jesus standing there with all the authority, he tells us that none of his authority was given by man, but was all given by God, right? So he's standing with all the authority of the heavens, and he looks at the men surrounding the woman who's laying on the ground. I'm sure she's terrified. I'm sure she's thinking, hey, I deserve this. I don't want it, but I'm sure I deserve this because of my past mistakes, right? Because of what they just caught me in. And Jesus looks at the man and he says, but if you don't deserve this, right, you without sin, I want, I want you to cast the first stone. So what happens, right? They start throwing the stones down, right? Jesus is writing something on the ground. Uh, tons of scholars have tried to guess what Jesus is actually writing on the ground. There, some scholars say that he's writing the sins of every person there in the dirt, um, and we, we just don't know what he's writing on the ground. But they're starting to throw these stones down one at a time. And they're not happy about it. But they walk away. And this woman, I, I believe, you know, she has her head in the dirt. She's terrified at what's going to happen. She's preparing herself. And she realizes it's quiet. And so she looks up. And there's stones surrounding her. None of which had, had hit her, Right? which was what was supposed to happen. And they're surrounding her, and she looks up, and there's Jesus. And so Jesus says, um, where are your accusers? There are none. Go, sin no more, right? Your sins are forgiven. 
What I believe Jesus is showing us in this moment, in the most critical of ways, right? Such an important uh, scenario here where he's fulfilling the law. He's telling us, you know, showing us, demonstrating everything he says later on that I have come not to get rid of the law, but to fulfill it. And so he's standing there with all the authority of heaven. And what I believe he is showing us is a foundation that he is creating for this woman and for us a foundation. And what that foundation is built on is the stones that are surrounding her. And what I mean by that is her foundation is built on the forgiveness and the love and the kindness that she was shown. If she were to be uh, stoned, her foundation would be built on the cruelty and how deserving she was of that, right? And she would believe that God had ordered that. But God, standing right there in the flesh, sets this foundation for her that we later see that she goes and she dedicates her life to him, right? Pouring everything she has onto him. So she goes from a deserving mindset to a foundation of a worth mindset. So, I want to uh, move on to Luke 15. And again, a common story. Now, this is the parable of the prodigal son. And we're probably going to stay here more than anywhere um, in the Bible. And this is... a where I believe a lot of our worth mindset comes from and also where Jesus uh, takes our current worth mindset and uh, lays out a more um, firm foundation for us. And so Luke fifteen eleven, and he, Jesus, said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of this state that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed the swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So we'll stop there. We'll, we'll come back to it. So there are, when I was um, preparing these passages, these scriptures, there are some similarities between the life of Jacob and the story of the prodigal son, which Jesus, you know, knows about the life of Jacob, right? Raised up as a scholar of the law and knows as God what had happened in the past. And so there are some similarities here, especially when we look at um, the speech that the son prepares. He's not even on his way, right? He's preparing in his head, which I do all the time. I um, prepared my message in my sleep uh, a few days ago, and nobody wrote it down for me, so I had to go back and redo it, but um, true story. Um, So he says here, um, I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven which is true, right? I have sinned, you know, I made mistakes, um, and I sinned in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So it says here in verse 20, so he got up, he came to his father, and while he was a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. He didn't even have a chance to speak, right? His father was probably just looking, waiting for his son to return, 
comes and picks him up, hugs him, spins him around, you know, so excited to see him, doesn't even give him a chance to speak. And the son says to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, but the father said to his slaves, not even acknowledging what the son said. All right, this is important. Says to the slaves, quickly bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. The son knew what he had did. He knew what he, he did was wrong. And in his head, he's telling himself, all right, I'm going to go to my dad. And I'm going to tell him, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Just make me a slave. I just, I need some food. I'm starving. All right? I know I made mistakes. I need to, I, I need your help. But you don't have to call me a son, right? How many times do you think, even as Christians, we look back on our past, we say, God, I know you died. I know you did this, and I know all the promises you have for me, but I've made mistakes right? I've sinned against heaven and against you, so um, if you'll just take me into your home, right? I'll take a portion of what you have. You know, if you want to feed me every now and then, but God, I don't deserve to be called your son, right? I don't deserve to be called a child of God. See, this is where we get confused and where a lot of our um, current issues can lie. If we focus on what we don't deserve and continue to tell God we're not worthy, we will accept the love, but we'll still think it's not for us. Okay? What this is, is it's rooted in shame. Okay? We are looking at our past and we're saying, God, we don't deserve all the kindness and all the faithfulness and all the goodness that you have for us. We know it's there and we'll gladly partake a part of it, but we don't deserve it. And so that fullness you have, uh, that's probably not for me because of all my mistakes, right? That's rooted in shame. But what we have done as a church culture is we have uh, done so in the name of humility, Okay, so if we are, you know, we understand that Jesus died for us, we, we understand that um, the sacrifice was what he wanted to do, but we feel like it's being humble to come to him and say, thank you, thank you so much for everything you have done, I don't deserve it, I don't know why you did it but thank you. And we stop there. But what God wants us to do is he wants us to say thank you. He wants us to say, we, I understand what I did in my past, right? He wants us to say thank you. But he also wants us to recognize and understand that we are still children of God and that we are worthy of the sacrifice that he gave. Okay? Everybody all right? So we ask this question, why? And like I said, it's been put into our church culture, kind of uh, snuck in there. Might not even realize it, but I'm going to give you some examples, all right? And my goal is to encourage you today. I'm not putting shame on anybody. My goal is to break shame off, okay? And so if you hear something, you're like, man, I've done that all my life. I grew up that way. It's okay. All right? I just want to help you transform your mind, right? Bring you to those things above. Okay? All right. So there are a few ways that I've written down that um, 
I see us as a church culture, as a Christian culture doing this. And remember, we, we think we are being humble when we're doing this. It's really just false humility. It's like if, you, uh, if I went up to William, I said, man, William, you shredded on that guitar during worship. That was amazing. William was like, oh, it was all God. Right? I mean, he's not wrong, but God wasn't holding the guitar shredding, right? God might have been working through William, telling William what to play, and William was playing, and he does because I've heard William play. He's telling William what to do on his guitar, on the piano, or whatever. Same thing for the worship team. You go up to Robin, like, Robin, Holy Spirit. You did awesome, right? You did awesome singing Holy Spirit. And Robin said, oh, it was all God. She's not wrong, but Robin's the one holding the mic, singing the song. God is empowering them. God is putting that talent, putting that gift, rising it up in them. And what we see is we're thinking, oh, we're being humble. We're putting it all back on God. But what we're really doing is being falsely humble, right? It's false humility. Because God wants us to recognize our own talents and worth. It's okay. There's nothing wrong about that. We look at TV shows and we look at movies, and a lot of times the bad guy is the one who thinks they deserve or thinks they are uh, worthy of it, right? I think of uh, the Avengers movies with Thanos, right? Thanos thinks he is the worthy person to set the universe straight, right? And when everybody else gets the chance, it's almost like they're afraid to do anything because they don't want to be seen as um, arrogant or whatever. But that's not what it is when we're talking about this, especially. It's okay to recognize how you were created. It's okay to recognize your place in the kingdom. And it's okay when somebody says, man, that was amazing how you showed your worship. It's okay to say thank you. Okay? It's okay to say thank you. Because that's how he created you to be. I heard this story once that really helped me with the false humility thing because I remember we were in the auditorium. Josh talked about false humility for a little bit. And I remember going home, I was like, man, I do not agree with that. Serious. I, I, I'm pretty sure I've vented for a little bit. I, I don't agree with what he just said. I, I just don't know. And it was everything I just said to you, pretty much word for word, I heard come from Josh first. And so I was scrolling through Instagram, and Corey Asbury posted this story. It was about this woman that, um, she was being honored and recognized towards the end of her life for all these accomplishments she had done. And at the end of the night, um, people were throwing roses up at her feet. She had all these awards and everything. And the person writing the story said, I saw her pick up the roses and pick up the awards and lifting them up. And what she was doing was the same thing she had done all through her life, except for she was doing it in front of everybody that was there. She was taking all these awards and accomplishments and saying, God, I'm receiving them. I'm thanking everybody for this, but I'm giving them to you. Okay? It's okay to say thank you. It's okay to understand you are worthy of being called a child of God. If you need to take it a step further, lift it up to him. Right? Say thank you, and then go into that secret place and say, thank you, God. Thank you for giving me that uh, platform. Right? Okay. So, we good? Yeah. All right. So, um, all right, back to the uh, church culture. So, what we have, uh, what I've written down here comes from the song Amazing Grace. Everybody knows the song, right? There have been multiple versions. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Uh-huh. You hear it? Saved to what? <laughs> it's old religion. That's good, Timmy. Wretch 
if you look it up in Webster's, Webster's is a good guy to start with. If you go and look up wretch, it basically means miserable, insignificant, right? So unworthy when we look at that. So amazing grace, how sweet the sound. You save this miserable, insignificant person like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Blind, but now I see. There's no reconciliation really there with the mindset, right, of that. I'm not saying it's bad to sing Amazing Grace. I love singing Amazing Grace. We sing multiple versions of them. But you might want to transform your mind a little when you're thinking of that term. Because we base the love of God on how we see ourselves. Okay? Another one is sinners saved by grace. Right? Pretty much the same concept. We were once sinners, and we are saved by grace. But if I tell somebody that I am a sinner saved by grace, that puts me still in the sinner position. Okay? But Paul said, while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. And what that's saying is, there was this time that I was sinning, and there was this time where I could be defined as a sinner. Christ still died for me. Where does that put me now? Right? New creation. New mindset. Okay? All right? And then there, there's been a few worship songs recently written um, like this, but basically just asking this question, why do you care? Why would you die? Why me? Okay? We're asking that, but I want to tell you that answer has been given, okay? You can ask that. David did it multiple times. When we look at um, Psalm 8, David is giving thanksgiving to God. He's saying, how excellent is your name, which he's saying, how excellent is your nature, But in 8.4, he says, what is man that you are so mindful of him, right? You've set him uh, in charge of all of creation, yet you see him mindful, okay? He says again, we look in 2 Samuel 7. We look in 1 Samuel 18. We look in 1 Chronicles 17, and all three of those verses, David says, why me? Who am I that you would do this? Who am I that you are mindful of me? I want to tell you what David is doing is not wrong because I believe knowing the life of David, seeing what David came from and seeing David's mindset when he was told he was going to be a king, which he said, okay, and went and killed a giant, right? Didn't question it, right? His brothers questioned it. His father questioned it, but he didn't question it. I believe, looking at that, that what David is saying, he's literally saying, who am I? What is creation? What are we in your plan, God? What is our identity? Okay? We can ask these questions of God and say, why did you die for us? But we need to have the motives of why, not why did you die for us because we're unworthy, but why did you die for us because we really need to know why. We really need to know who we are. What is our purpose in this plan? Because when you look at worth, when I go to, say, Best Buy, and I'm looking at a computer, right? And I'm saying, okay, this computer can do this, and it can save my pictures. I can get on Facebook, all this stuff, right? We're looking at the computer. We're seeing, is it worth this price tag? But what we're also saying is, is it going to fulfill the purpose that I have for this computer? When we're looking at ourselves and saying, I'm unworthy, Jacob said it. You said that you have all of this for me, right? You said that this is my purpose, but I'm unworthy. We're saying, I'm not worth that purpose you have set inside of me. That's not okay. All right? Let's keep going. So in the prodigal son, 
He goes back to his father, and his, he's got this whole speech ready, and he says, I'm unworthy. In the whole process, the father, which we know is symbol type of God, doesn't even pay attention. Sets a table before him, sees that he's hungry, see that, sees that he needs sandals, right? Because he probably sold his sandals to try to get some food, right? Sees that he had made mistakes but doesn't care. He is just glad to get his son back, okay? He's glad to get a slave, right? He's glad to get a servant. No, he's glad to get his son back, okay? This is God, glad to get his children back, okay? All right. So we can see... The answer to our worth question in Christ. He's our foundation, right? We know that God is love. We see that in John. tells us that God is love. And so we know based on that unconditional love that that's why he came for us, right? That's why he had this elaborate plan to uh, save us. Which we'll talk about that in a minute. We were created in his image. Your DNA is the DNA of God. To say you are unworthy, you are basically denying your DNA. You are denying what is the core value, right? What's our definition of worth? core value, you are denying what is deep inside of you, what is inherently yours, by saying, God, I am unworthy to be called your son. Or to say, God, I'll take a little bit of it, right? Just feed me. I'll do it. I'll, sacri- I'll you know, surrender everything to you. I'll be a servant. I'll serve you. I'll do everything. But I'm not, I'm not a child. No, don't put me there. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, everybody say it with me, that he gave that whosoever, right. So we know this verse, okay? Yet we still, in the church, can have this mindset. Now I'm speaking to you from a place, from someone who had to overcome this mindset, right? I'm not shaming anybody. I'm telling you, been there, okay? And I knew this verse, right? I could recite this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That word saved is sozo in the Greek, where we get salvation from, but it's also where we get wholeness. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, not to condemn the world, but that through the world they might be whole. Through the world they might be reconciled back to him. Okay? It's not just about forgiving you of your sins because that's what we have done in an evangelical culture. We have said that it's great to stop there. For God so loved the world that he gave the only son, whosoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life, which means he's forgiving you of your sins. Here you go. And that's it. We stop there. Okay? But there's so much more. And by stopping there, we're saying, Okay, you forgive me of my past, but God, I don't deserve that. And that's where we stop. If in our mind, if God is stopping at the forgiving of our sins, then we are stopping by continually remembering our sins. Okay? But instead, what God is saying is that I have sent my son, I have sent a part of me, right? I have sent Jesus so that you could see, so that you could have a foundation, so that you could be saved, and so that you could be whole and reconciled. What are we reconciling to? Back to the garden. Back when man walked hand in hand 
with God, right? Back when uh, farming was not a chore, right? It was something that happened. Back when the animals were in peace with mankind, right? That, that, that David is talking about, you have made us uh, um, just a little lower than the angels so that we could have dominion over creation. That's what he's talking about. Adam had dominion over creation, reconciling us back to that place where we are one with God. But we cannot be one with God if we don't believe we should be. If we don't believe we're worthy of that. Okay? So let's go to Matthew 28. I want you to imagine a church, a kingdom, a body, a movement that believes they are worthy of the place God has set them in. Just imagine that, right? When we think of worth, uh, of people thinking they're worth something in a bad context, like a lot of uh, television and movies have done, right? We see all that power that they get. It doesn't end well for them, right? <laughs> didn't end well for Thanos. It doesn't end well for them. But when we look at it, there's so much power there in thinking you, you inherently are worth that. There's so much power in that. So imagine a body or a movement, a church, the bride, right, that believes that. So here's what Jesus says in Matthew 28, 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So, um, I was baptized in a Baptist church, grew up in a Baptist church. Um, I was baptized, I think I was 10 or 11. And I remember being dunked under the water and the pastor saying, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? I didn't think anything of it, honestly, until probably three or four years ago. I read this again and began to think, you know, Josh had taught us what in the name of Jesus means, right? In the nature, okay? The word name literally means the nature. So let's read this again. Verse 18, uh, 19. Matthew 28, verse 19. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name, in the nature of the Father, and in the nature of the Son, and in the nature of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So we're not stopping at that forgiveness. You see that? We are going further, and we are baptizing, submersing, right? I'm not breaking off the whole dunking in water thing, okay? But I'm telling you, there's more to it than that, because Jesus always had more to what he said. He always spoke in parables. This might even be a parable where there's another underlying uh, reason or another underlying whatever cause of what he's saying, right? And so we look at this and we say, in the nature of the Father, in the nature of the Son, and in the nature of the Holy Spirit, what he's saying is, I want you to go and teach people, make disciples, right? I want you to just leave them as spiritual babies. I want you to teach them like I taught you. Right? Because all the people he found were sinners. Right? They um, tax collectors, lied, cheated. Not necessarily the best group of men that he had around or that he could have chosen. 
But he takes them, and he's telling them, I want you to go and make disciples just like I did. I want you to go and find these people that, you know, are at the edge of the society. Nobody wants anything to do with them. I want you to go, and I want you to teach them and raise them up, and I want you to submerse them in the nature of the Father. What does that mean? I want you to teach them about who the Father is. And I want you to show them that they are sons or daughters of the Father. Okay? We're not stopping at forgiveness. We're moving forward into an understanding of who they are, identity. Okay? And I want you to submerse them in the name of the Son. The Son, Jesus, who believed that he had all authority, right? It says right here, uh, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, right? He's also giving it to them, okay? And he's saying, I want you to baptize them, submerse them in the same way that I have walked on this earth. Power, right? Authority, and might, okay, and in the nature of the Spirit, okay, the Spirit is everything, right, the nature of Holy Spirit is that oneness, that intimacy, that presence deep inside of us is from that Spirit, right, and so in the nature of that Spirit is just bringing all of this into fullness, bring it all back together, right? Jesus also says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? No one comes to a father except through me. What he's saying there is, I am the way to the truth, right? Identity, breaking forth, letting you see, because Jesus says, I am the truth, right? Letting you see the Son as yourself. John Mark McMillan has a song called Magic Mirror where he says, are you some kind of magic mirror come to show me God in my own face? Are you here to show me what I'm supposed to look like? Who you see me as, right? Which is worth, worthy of all of it, okay? All right, so I am the way that leads to that truth that opens your eyes, lets you see who you truly are, that will bring you life. And Jesus says, I have come that they, have may, that they may have life and have life more abundantly. Okay? We're not stopping where we are. We're moving forward. We're seeing a church that is never sick. Right? We're seeing a church that can uh, break off diseases break off chains, right, that can also take those people and make them disciples that can also do the same thing. He says in Matthew 10, 8, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely you have received, freely give, okay? We're not just baptizing, not just dunking underwater, we're teaching everyone who they are made to be. We can still be humble when we do that, but we cannot ignore and deny who we truly are because that is not only ignoring our worth, it is ignoring the core deep inside of us, our core identity, our DNA. It's ignoring all of it, okay? Go ahead and stand for me. Just want you to close your eyes and think. Remember, there's no shame here, but I want you to think on your life. I want you to think on the past few weeks. I want you to think a few hours ago. God, did I deny my true worth? We can picture Peter standing on the boat and he sees Jesus come in the distance and they're terrified. You can keep your eyes closed for this. You can open them. But um, 
might be able to picture it better if your eyes are closed. But you see Peter, he's standing on the boat. He sees Jesus out in the distance. And he calls to him. He says, Lord, if that's you, ask me to come and stand on the waves with you. And Jesus says, come. Okay? I'm going to tell you, Peter would not have said that if he didn't feel some sort of worth. This is after Jesus had given him an identity that you are my rock, you will build my church. And so Peter steps out on the waves. I believe at this moment he is full of his worth, full of his identity. He is experiencing that authority on heaven and uh, in heaven and on earth. He's experiencing it when he's on the waves. And then he looks around and he begins to think, these waves are bigger than I am. I'm insignificant. I'm small. I'm unworthy of this. And so he starts to sink. But Jesus doesn't let him stay under the waves. Jesus reaches down and picks him up. Because even if we think we're unworthy, we still have a place in the kingdom. Even if we think we're unworthy, we are still a child of God. Okay? I want you to picture the prodigal son. He's walking down the road. He has a speech ready. He's going to tell his father that I'm unworthy, that, that he wants to be a, a slave just so that he can get some food. And he's walking down the road, and the father runs and picks him up and hugs him and tells them, let's have a party. You're back. The father did not care about what he deserved, Right? grace that's grace and mercy the father did not care about what he deserved the father only cared about showing him you see this fatted calf you see this robe you see this ring you see these sandals you see this party everyone that's gathered around you're worth it that's what you're worth Now I want you to picture Jesus. He's on the cross. We've all seen this image in one way or another. He's battered and he's bruised. He's feeling all the compassion in the world, right? But he's also feeling all the weight of the world is on his shoulders, right? He's beaten, bleeding. And we see him standing there or hanging there on the cross. And we're standing there looking at him, God, Jesus, why would you do this? I love you so much, and I thank you so much for this. You are so worthy of anything I could ever give you because I know you're doing this for me, but why are you doing this for me? Jesus, why are you doing this for me? And it's okay to think that. We've all done it, right? But picture Jesus looking back down at you. Everybody close your eyes. Looking back down at you. And here's his response. Because I love you. It's not complicated. He's looking at you and he says, because you are mine. I'm up here because I love you. I'm up here because you are in my image. You are me. It's always been about you. It will always be about you. And it's okay to accept it. Father, we receive your love this morning. And God, we want to honor you. We want to give you worship and we want to adore you and show you all adoration and be so humble at your feet, God. But let us be so bold to say, we accept your love, God. We know we are children of God. Everybody say, I am a son or I am a daughter of God. We believe we are worthy of your love, God. It's okay to say it. We believe we are worthy of your love. Reveal to us your purpose for us. And 
let us boldly run this race for you. And as a church, as True Vine, as everyone in here and all the churches and all the bodies and all the cities represented, God, we say we are all for you. And we believe that out of our mouths, out of the, the worth that we are giving to you, we believe that we will see disciples be made that are not just in the image of a church culture once lost or of old religion, but that we will see disciples made in your nature, God, that will know they are sons and daughters, that we will see disciples that are made in your nature, Jesus, that will know the authority they have, that we will not see a church that is broken and beaten, but a, a whole God in your salvation, in your sozo wholeness. And that we will see a church that is so moved by the Holy Spirit that walls couldn't hold it down. We love you so much. Everybody look up, guys. I know that this might be something that is not new. It might be something that's new for you. But one thing that is so powerful about this when we look at worship the definition of worship which Barbara shared with us earlier with the, the tithing is to give worth to God right to give worth to God and I want you to think if there's been a time or if you do not know the best way to worship maybe it's dry for you maybe it's awkward for you think about it if you don't have worth, you can't give it to them. This breaks so many barriers when we realize who we truly are and accept it. It's not just about identity, it's about the worth and value. When we realize that, it breaks so many barriers.